the committee that put the revised common lectionary together knew what they were doing at this time of year. This is a time of beginnings. But what is more, this is a time of revelation, complete revisioning of the world, a sudden and perhaps shocking view of a new consciousness, a new comprehension of reality. None of these terms is exaggerated, for the word epiphany means the sudden revelation of the divine in glory, in splendor, in complete power and majesty. And that is part of the power of the Christian epiphany. For the overwhelming crash of revelation is not the actual sight of the baby in the manger, but the explosive comprehension that this baby is incredibly the savior of all creation. This has been termed a manifestation of the divine, and it is worth noting that manifest comes from the Latin words for hand and grasp. This is something we feel we can hold in our hands, and so we might presume that the readings today could scarcely explore into such powerful heights, but I think they do. Here on the first Sunday of Epiphany, we hear three passages that present us with not just God, but the three persons of the divine. God, the creator of the universe, God, the divine made human, and God, the Holy Spirit, into whose realm those twelve early disciples in Ephesus, and we ourselves, are baptized, cleansed, and made holy. The passage from Genesis is the very opening of the Torah, the Hebrew Scriptures. These are the first words of our Bible. And they tell the beginnings of everything as perceived and transmitted in the sacred traditions of the Jewish scholars who laid down the stories preserved before writing in the memories and hearts of other scholars. Many ancient cultures kept their stories, their histories, their claims to ancestral validity in this way by training a few select people to carry in their memories their pieces of the tribal origins. Some decades ago, a novel and then a film told a story with an interesting parallel to these early transmissions of the Hebrew scriptures. It was Ray Bradbury's Fahrenheit 451. It took place in a near future when books were suppressed and burned by a totalitarian government and people who had books were arrested, but a brave few knew that the integrity of civilization depended on the collective wisdom and history of those who could preserve the past. And so they isolated themselves, bringing along their books, most of them with only one book, and each set about memorizing a text. It seems almost impossible to us, yet the author shows that a culture must preserve its records. Each character in Fahrenheit 451 became his or her book. A character might say, I am Moby Dick, or... I am Hamlet, or I am Pride and Prejudice. For your information, Fahrenheit 451 is the auto-ignition point of paper, according to Bradbury. So, in our first reading today, the story of the beginning of everything, which had been stored in some scholar's mind, is recounted and written down. We can't, of course, know how this story was transmitted before it was written. The conundrum of who could possibly have been present to witness these events is, of course, a meaningless concern. We can't really know where this story comes from. 
This does not purport to be history. It does not claim to be an eyewitness account. But the written word gave credence to, if not the details of creation, to the sacred importance to the Jews of the creating power of Yahweh. This day begins everything, and light is the beginning, and it is pronounced good. We may note also that the first day starts with sundown. There was evening, and there was morning, the first day. We tend to think of a day beginning at sunrise or at midnight. Didn't we all just call out Happy New Year a few midnights ago? But for these ancient people, the day begins with the coming of darkness. Remember that the Jewish Sabbath, which is Saturday, begins with sundown on Friday evening and ends at sundown on Saturday evening, if we think of this in modern terms. The next beginning we hear about today is the visit of Paul to Ephesus, a great trading port in Asia Minor, now Turkey. Some of you have told me that you have visited the ruins of Ephesus, so you know that the city is now about eight or nine miles inland, no longer a seaport, for the river that runs beside it was silted up dramatically. In modern Turkey, tours for Christians to Ephesus are a major tourist business. We are led about to see the amphitheater where guides tell us Paul preached to thousands, and up a distant hill they point out that the ruins there of a small hut were where Paul was imprisoned for preaching against Roman gods. So I was a bit taken aback when the section of the book of Acts reports today that Paul found and baptized into the Holy Spirit only about 12 disciples. Twelve. And I wondered if the crowds in the amphitheater came later or if there were crowds, but the beginnings here are the movement into the worship of the Christ and the revelation that such a commitment changes us into those committed to telling the good news. In baptism, we are given the power and the change to spread the good news. We have a charge, and we do not need to speak in tongues. We saw in Genesis the power of the Father God. In the baptismal ceremony in Ephesus, we witnessed the power that comes with a commitment to God the Son, and in the gospel story, we're allowed to be present at the baptism of Jesus himself, where he is not only cleansed by John the Baptist, but appraised by a voice from heaven, acknowledging Jesus as the Son of God and pronouncing that his human life is good. This episode, which begins Jesus' ministry, is reported in all three of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, in very similar language. In each, it is the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove that accompanies the declaration that Jesus is the Son, the Son of God the Father. The lessons today show us a trinity of holy power. This is about quality, not quantity. We don't need a cloud of witnesses at the creation. It is good intrinsically. We find that even if Paul finds only a dozen disciples in Ephesus, they are given the power of knowledge and faith that comes from being baptized into the promise of Christ the Son. And at the River Jordan, Jesus hears the voice of the Father validating his holiness and his mission through the image of the Holy Spirit appearing as a dove. It is a new year. It is a new creation. Many in the world see history as an ever-advancing line. The church has also seen it as a circle 
There is comfort in revisiting the powerful stories and moments of our history. Today we're given a new beginning, the first day of the world, the gift of the Holy Spirit, the validation that Jesus is the Son of God. This month we start again our participation in the Holy Story. You don't even need to make resolutions. Without any deserving on our parts, we have been placed into a world that is good. We have been given a new life in Christ. We have been assured of the continuing presence of God the Spirit. And we give thanks for the divine presence who creates, sustains, and enlightens us. Amen.